You're listening to Hey Doc, the show for and by people passionate about healthy living. Hosted by Dr. Bridger Cutler and Dr. Caleb Valdez, two chiropractors seeking to make the world a healthier place. Welcome to Hey Doc, I'm Dr. Cutler, my co-host. I'm Dr. Valdez in the house. So today we want to go a little bit more into some of these health talks and just a brief introduction of who we are. Um, specifically, Dr. Valdez today, last time I first so we talked a little bit about me, it was way too much for me. Today I want to get a lot more about Dr. Valdez, his philosophy on things, and kind of see what made him the way he is, because don't know he's a little bit of a big deal. <laughs> so uh, we'll start with just a very simple, very broad question, and we'll see where he takes this. But why chiropractic? I know a lot more about you than most people, and so I know what things you've done. Because you didn't get into chiropractic until later on. Right. right. You'd already done several things. So yeah. explain that to me. Yeah. So I was uh, living and working overseas a lot and uh, was traveling a ton. I was not living a healthy lifestyle at all. <laughs> and uh, my doctor actually put me on broad spectrum antibiotics because I was traveling so much. I was getting sick with everything. And so for almost a year, I was just taking broad spectrum antibiotics, not for anything specific, just to keep me from getting sick. And it was depleting my vitamin K stores because antibiotics kill off your gut flora and that bacteria is what produces our vitamin K. And so I was, I was really vitamin deficient. I was tired all the time. I was super stressed out. And I remember a distinct moment where I thought, I'm not going to live to see 40 if I keep up this life. And so um, my, uh, my niece was born with a genetic condition called Prader-Willi syndrome, and she... Uh, was a big impetus for me getting into chiropractic. My sister really fought for a, a diagnosis with her, and we entered this, what we call the coolest club you never want to be a part of. It's called Prader-Willi Syndrome Community, and it's the most incredible people, and they live with uh, this syndrome, which includes a lot of different parts to it, but one of them was a musculoskeletal uh, alteration, where kids are just, the babies are very floppy, they're very low tone, and so my goal was, if I could help my niece Kimber, have a straight back, then that would be great. And if I help a few people along the way, that's good too. But as I got into chiropractic, I started to realize how much of what we do is based in neurology. And Prader Willi has a lot of neurology involved as well. And so that's where I really got into adjusting babies and pregnant moms and taking care of the nervous system rather than just laying people down and pounding out the high spots like I think a lot of people think chiropractors do. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time I feel like we, we, we get a lot of just putting motion, I mean, even in several chiropractic clinics that I've worked in personally, and that you've worked in as well, we're taught, oh, just increase in range of motion. You're going to see improvements in range of motion, as opposed to, okay, what are the neurological benefits of that? And I know you and I have had many, many philosophy conversations about, like, vagal nerve tone, different things that, and different effects it can have. Right. And, I mean, you specifically in the pediatric and pregnancy space, um, I kind of want to know, like, so we know why you went to pediatrics because of Kimber, because of Prader Willi Syndrome, because of that, and that kind of gave you that love. But like, how do you, when you have someone ask you, and I mean, there's a lot of people out there who say, well, why would you ever adjust a baby? Tell me about that. Like, what is adjusting a baby? Right. First of all, it's nothing like adjusting a human, as you know. Uh, <laughs> a little bit different. Yeah, adjust you. Yeah. yeah. Babies are still humans. <laughs> well, yes, but <laughs> kind of not. <laughs> um, they, uh, it looks nothing like, like when I adjust somebody your size, obviously, because their skeletal systems haven't fully formed. They're mostly cartilage, and they're just these gooey little chunk monsters that, you know, sleep and poop, and that's about all they have to do. So there's a lot of considerations like um, gravity that they're just getting acquainted with, and so those parts of their systems are still forming, and that's why it's so important to get them adjusted early on, is... It's like when you get a cell phone from your carrier. You know, the first thing you do, you pull it out, plug it in, and it says, I have to update it. It's like, I just barely got you. What do you have? You possibly need to know about updating. Um, and that's what it's like when you have a human. Baby pops out, and it needs a neurological update. And there's actually a lot of research out there that's kind of cool that the reason humans are so limited in our gestational periods, you think about how long an elephant carries a baby, and it's, it's like two years, I think, oh, yeah. um, because they can form neurologically, they're okay to stay in there that long. Humans, we can't. Like, our, our brain size and capacity gets to a certain point in nine months. We can have to birth and continue that growth on the outside. And so where a lot of babies are wiring a lot of those infant reflexes and, and those instincts in utero, 
human babies have to get on the outside and start having input and stuff for that update to happen. So we're forming millions of neurological connections every minute for the first few months of life. It's, it's literally like a software update on that system. And that's why I'm so passionate about getting to them early and, and you know, as soon as we can, getting them adjusted and, and moving like they're supposed to. So it makes, I mean, it makes perfect sense. We still need to bring down software. Right. Like, and, and I mean, I've, I've adjusted babies. I've watched them adjust babies a lot. And very different, very different techniques, stuff like that. If you give a car, if you go to a chiropractor and he wants to adjust your baby and he tries to, to do the same and it looks like he's trying to adjust a big human, walk away. <laughs> Get away. Go find someone who actually knows what they're doing. And because I'll be honest, not all not all adjustments are created equal. And especially when it comes to babies and, and kids, stuff like that, you need to be careful with what you're doing. And that's why having someone who has the experience, who has the training, um, who has that guy who's had that guidance will, will be super important for your baby and super uh, influential on that baby's nervous system. And I mean, yesterday or two days ago, whatever it was, I I got onto this big kick. I was going through all PubMed, all these different uh, research journals, and going through like all the research on chiropractic. And there was just a ridiculous amount, especially in pediatric chiropractic in kids. And its effect on consultation, its effect on colic, all these different things that like are typical problems with the baby. And what do we do in medicine that like I mean, typically when you have a baby that's colic and stuff like that, what's the doctor going to prescribe them? And like, how's your res what's your response to that? Like, someone comes in and says, "My baby's been crying constipated for this long. What do we do?" Yeah, uh, colic is really tricky because it's what we call a multifactorial pathology. There's a lot of things going on there. It's not just one thing, and so it's kind of a catch-all phrase. Uh, a crabby baby, everybody just diagnoses it as colic, you know? Yeah. And it could be something as, as simple as just the food that they're eating is not agreeing with them. You know, their formula and this, this super inflammatory diet that they're on, and you correct that and the colic goes away. Um, or it could be something a little bit harder to detect, like a birth trauma. And that puts a lot of stress on the upper part of the neck. That puts that baby in that fight or flight mode, and any little stimulus just goes straight to that um, panic center of the brain. And you have this crying, you know, newborn that's really frustrating for a lot of parents. Um, so when kids come in with colic, that's the first thing I want to educate them on is we, we take a really good history of what type, type of pregnancy they went through, how the delivery was, if there was intervention or stresses that would have increased that likelihood of a birth injury. Um, and then we adjust and we're just constantly trying to get that baby back to that rest, digest mode. And um, that has a ripple effect through all of the digestive system, as you know. And you asked me about that paper on vagal nerve stimulation. I still sent that to you, but I, I have a over that. I mean, yes, something super interesting. But when we give kids their brake pads back, like Dr. Tony Ebel says in perfect or uh, the pediatric experience, give the kids the brake pads back. A lot of that stuff works um, on its own. Constipation is another one like that. That is a sign that that system is in lockdown. It's in stress mode, fight or flight mode. You know, think when you're getting chased by a bear, last thing you want to do is stop and fill the diaper, you know, yeah. unless you're our president. But, uh, <laughs> but um, with kids, uh, it's really easy to see, okay, I just, this kiddo, they pooped, check that one off the list. You know, that's a pretty clear, like, correlation between chiropractic care and, and something like constipation, which as a profession, we've always made the argument that we have non-musculoskeletal benefits, a lot of digestion. And so if we can show enough correlation with that, and it's, it's like in the 90 percentile, uh, when kids are well adjusted, they're, they're having regular bowel movements. And that's essential for a growth. It's the same with adults, too. It is. We just don't correlate that because there's so many other factors with that. And a lot of dietary-wise, I mean, adults are eating a lot more stuff. There's a lot more things that can go into that. And like we're talking about antibiotics, we got to look at that, too. It doesn't look like hugely into right. our ability to actually extract nutrients. Yep. For them, what we eat. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm super passionate about that. Keep the babies adjusted to keep them regular. Um, it's really common, especially in the communities that I work with, these special need kiddos, uh, for that system to get stressed out and shut down or sluggish. And parents reach for Miralax, you know, or some kind of laxative there. Most, if not all, and I, I, I want to just hedge my bet there, I'm pretty sure all of them have not been studied for safety or efficacy in pediatric patients. Um, but we're dumping this Miralax down kids, and, and we now have 
warnings from the FDA that that is, is not uh, a good solution, but it's all parents have, and so they're doing the best they can. Because I don't know what I would do if, if my kid was stocked up like that, and I, I didn't know about this, um, but it's, it's huge. So never thought I'd be as concerned with poop schedules as I am as a, a doctor of chiropractic, but that's like one of the first questions that's always out of my mouth as I'm assessing these little nervous systems is, okay, are they pooping, are they eating, are they sleeping well, because those are all signs that we have a, a well-adjusted kiddo. Awesome. Okay, next question. What's something about your profession, about the chiropractic profession that bothers you? Ooh, we've had a lot of talks about this one. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to say one here in a second, so right. think. I, as a profession, I really get annoyed with the kind of the hero worship and the cult personalities that pop up from time to time. We don't see that in the medical field. It's really about, about the research and about replicability and reproducibility in chiropractic. And I think it's just because they feel so marginalized by the mainstream so often. I think we try to find somebody to put on a pedestal and to be our water bearer. You know, like, everything. Yeah, let's give him so the black. We're all going to get behind him. And, and those people, they do really well. They burn really hot and bright and fast. And then they, they fall out of favor. And I've seen some of the legends from the chiropractic world that just become so drunk on their own adulation, they take advantage of the institutions that they once started to protect, and it, it sets our profession back decades every single time we do it. And I, one of my good friends, she's a huge advocate for associates being really careful about who they train with and identify with and you know promote. Yeah. Because it really should be about the chiropractic itself and not about who is doing it or, or how they're doing it. And so I always try to avoid, uh, you know, putting one technique even above another. Um, because everybody has a technique that works for them. Every patient has one that works for them. And that individuality when it comes to, I mean, yeah. some, some techniques. I mean, it's the same thing as like supine. If you do a supine cervical on some patient, like it may work really well. Yeah. And then a seated cervical, like for me, I mean, you've told me multiple times that seated cervicals are a little bit better for me. It's just yeah. easier to get my chest to move, less painful. Yeah. And so finding a technique that's specific to your body, gives your body actually moving the way it's supposed to, and allows to get that nervous stimulation can give Right. And I think we kind of metal our philosophies as a profession when we say, this is the best technique, you know, and it's like saying, oh, this is the. In medicine, you go to the doctor, you get a prescription drug, it works for everybody, you know, as intended, bio-individuality aside, you know, your body's yeah. metabolized, that's different, but you're pretty much getting the same care across the medical board because they have so many rules about what they can and can't prescribe. In chiropractic, it's very, very different. It's all based on the provider, and it can vary from day to day. And so as a chiropractor, when I provide an adjustment, it's going to be different from what you do. And Tuesday, Caleb, might be different than Thursday, Caleb, and yeah. I'll provide that. But we need to be really careful that we don't try to make that a one-size-fits-all or one-doctor-fits-all promotion for that because every chiropractor out there is doing good for somebody on some level. And you're going to have heroes, and you're going to have detractors, and we've got to be okay with that. It, it would be the same thing in medicine if there was enough individual practicing of medicine going on rather than just prescribing. Yeah. Well. And it's kind of an add-on to that question. Do you think it's a good thing that there's so many different, because I mean, there's so many different philosophies between chiropractors. Like, right. Even here in, in Utah, like, you go to eight different chiropractors in the same little little town. Right. And, and pretty much everyone's going to have a different philosophy on what they're doing does. Yes. Like, what the benefits are. And do you think that's a good thing, or do you think it should be more uniform in our belief and our research and stuff like that? Well, and I think I think the reason we have all these different varieties and definitions, there's hundreds of definitions of the subluxation complex, you know, which is what we claim to treat. Um, but I think most chiropractors um, are pretty unified on what we're about, what what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, we run into problems in the medical research in the in the standardizing field because definitions matter and because what we do matters. And it's, it's a philosophy that doesn't fit well with Western medicine, and we have to be okay with that as a profession. We keep trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. A, a pill, giving someone a pill is very different than giving someone an adjustment. It is. The adjustment, I mean, it depends on so many. Just the doctor himself, like, I can give 100 adjustments in a day, and every single adjustment is going to be slightly different. 
the, the person that I'm adjusting because there's going to be some slight thing, and that's where it comes down to feel. Like some people, I may have a little bit more lateral flexion if I'm doing cervical, or I may they may be more flexible. I may have to go into a little bit more rotation on certain things, mm -hmm. and you can't do the exact same thing for every single person. Right, and I think we need to stop trying to do that yeah. as a profession and just be okay with realistic progress on a very individualized, day-by-day, provider-to-patient level. Um, because once we start trying to do those studies, that everybody gets the same adjustment all the time. You were talking just last night, you know, at the kitchen, you're like, why, why are we trying to convince people that, you know, why can't the results just speak for themselves? And I, I agree with that. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. There's no way to give an adjustment and not have the patient know if they got one or not. Yeah, so let's find another way to, to establish that what we do is working. I think we talked several times about research and, and studies and stuff like that. And I mean, if anybody, I mean, if, you, if you looked at our, our social media stuff, you see the post that goes over like our, um, our education. And I mean, I know both of us, for fun, we go and read research papers. <laughs> the, the problem is that people go and they read the introduction, they read the abstract of a research paper, and they think, oh, well, this is a conclusive. Um, they don't understand how you set up a research paper. Have you ever tried to set up a research project, like a randomized control trial, something like that? It is so intensely hard to do that with a, with a, with something with a therapy like this because it's going to be different for everybody. We can't do a randomized control trial or a double, you can't double blind it because the doctor's going to know if the doctor's adjusting <laughs> and the patient's going to know if they got adjusted. So you can't compare that to, to a sham because how do you create a sham for that? I had a crazy idea, you want to hear it? <laughs> I don't know how legal this is under the Nuremberg Code, but it's a good it's a good uh, uh, disclaimer here. If everybody that was awake and alert right now signed a waiver that if I'm ever in a coma, like as part of my medical power of attorney, I want you to let them do a, an adjustment on me when I'm comatose. Take my vitals, I will be out of a, in a coma. So I don't, I don't care what kind of adjustment, if I get one or, or not. Just adjust a bunch of coma patients that have this pre-standing medical power of attorney to give them an adjustment while they're asleep. And we measure vitals like blood sugar, like oxygenation levels, like heart rate variability, you know, those types of things. And see what the difference is between coma patients that... And that's an interesting thing, because I did read, read a study the other day, and we can put some of these studies uh, in the link below, but like, I read a study about nerve stimulation of heart rate variability. Uh -huh. And how heart rate variability will actually increase, um, which is a good thing. It, it means your body's more adaptable. It increases after an adjustment. Yeah, which can, huge. can mean that your body is actually going from that fight or flight sympathetic to that parasympathetic dominant. Yeah. And, and that could be huge for, I mean, an adaptation for rest, I guess, for all these different things, getting the body out of that fight or flight mode. Well, the Western medical world has started to realize the power of vagal nerve stimulation and the strength of that cranial nerve 10 or vagus nerve. And so they're building more and more of these vagal nerve stimulators. Um, you know, they have apps, they have little earphones you put in, and all these different things that are designed to increase your vagal tone. Chiropractors are the OG vagal nerve stimulators. You know, we've been doing this for 100 plus years, yeah. and we're just now seeing why what we do is working. But as we see more heart rate variability, more parasympathetic dominance in that, in that tone, in that, you know, nerve pathway, we see that... The adjustment is the strongest thing we can do to increase that vagus nerve. And now, you know, they have these devices they're implanting into people's brains or spinal cords to try to increase that tone. Well, guess what? You don't have to do a $200,000 procedure and yeah. you know, do that on a bunch of people. We can do that right now if you sit in this chair and give me 12 seconds of your life <laughs> yeah. and, and measure the tone that changes with that. So I think as Western medicine catches on the idea of what we're doing, they're trying to find a way to surgicalize or medicate the to, to control it to yeah to, yeah to do what we're doing, but they're doing it with the old way. And you can you can charge way more if you can if you can oh, medicalize I mean, something like that. Absolutely. I mean it's the same thing with you, you look at something like um marijuana. And so it's, I mean this is a pretty <laughs> subject for a lot of people, but but that's something to where uh especially in Utah, like the medical institute they they try not to let that be as making it legal because they haven't been able to control it yet. They haven't made like the, the total medical alternative for it. And I feel like that can be, it's, it's one of those things, they're gonna make a lot of money off of it, but because they're not making that much money off of the lobby right now, if people are just able to grow their own medicine, who's getting money from it? And medical marijuana is really kind of an oxymoron because there's nothing medical about it. We're trying to pharmaceuticalize what nature 
things and stuff. I feel like it's really down to most things though. Like, right. You look at like aluminum medication, a lot of times it's based, uh, the, the chemical compound uh, formulation is very similar to something like lavender. Uh-huh. And then these different uh, things that occur in nature that we're trying to synthetically copy. Because you can't patent lavender. Absolutely. <laughs> so if you're going to make money at it, uh, colloidal silver is another one. That yeah. is so effective against microbes um, that the Bureau of Chemistry, you know, when they first started out, they're now called the FDA. The Bureau of Chemistry, when they started, they have all these letters that just said, hey, if we don't scare people away from colloidal silver and outlaw it and, and demonize this, we're never going to be able to make an antibiotic that people are going to pay for. If you really want to go find some cool stuff, go look up colloidal silver and yeast. It, it, it's phenomenal. And I guarantee you, if you Google it, you're going to find this smurf looking guy that's blue with red hair and, and you know it, it's going to terrify you that that's what you're going to turn into if you take it and that's on purpose so yeah. just know there's there's a big difference between argyria which is what that those individuals are, are suffering from and just good old-fashioned coil so it's it's one of the best medicines out there the medici back in the you know during yeah. the dark ages they were in contact with silver enough to get it into their bloodstream and that's where they would give their babies silver spoons. And that's where that phrase came from. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my, in my mouth. Because babies would suck on the silver spoon, they'd get silver particles in their bloodstream, and they were impervious to the bubonic plague. They, they wouldn't get sick wow. with the plagues that were going around because they had all the silver that was killing it off. So they'd wear silver you know, jewelry and things like that to get it into their bloodstream and, and protect them from the diseases. So that's super cool. Yeah. And my... Uh, I was in China a few years ago with a, a good friend of mine, and the people there, they would take pots of water and they'd, they'd put these beautiful silver fish that they would carve out of, for, you know, form out of silver. They'd boil that in their water before they prepped anything with it to kill off any bacteria or pathogens that were in their water there. And really healthy, vibrant people. So I think there's there's something to that. So that's why I'm only drinking silver. And we, we, I'm going to go back and backtrack just a little bit. We were talking a little bit about. Wait a um, minute. Before we go there, you have to tell me what the biggest problem with our profession is. Well, I'll, I'll get to this point. is still trying to my mind. I want to talk a little bit more on. We were talking so much about the neurological stimulation that comes from getting adjusted. And um, I just want to put like a little philosophy point out there because I, I hear a lot, especially in the sports world, like tight muscles is what causes people to have, like, when you say, like, a ribs out or something like that. or or like when we say, hey, you're supplemented here, and someone's like, well, isn't that just because a tight muscle pulled something, and it's not moving the way it's supposed to? Like, absolutely, but you, you got to realize there's a correlation. There's the, the nervous system is the very first thing, because if your body is sending that, if it's in that sympathetic tone, it means your muscles are going to be tighter. Because if you think about it, if I'm about to run away from a bear, my muscles are so tight on the spring, I'm ready to run. But if I'm in parasympathetic dominance, where I'm resting, digesting, my body's going to be more loose. It's going to be able to... To relax like that. So if the muscle's super tight, it's it's going to be holding that, and, and that's where it comes to. Yeah, we can we can treat the muscles, but is it going to fix the, the underlying problem? Um, the muscle is usually a symptom of that, and sometimes the muscle can come first. Just I mean, lifting weights, stuff like that, the muscle can come first. But a lot of times, the the actual root cause of the problem is going to be neurological stimulation. Yeah. So I believe that. Anyway. What was the question? You were the one asking the question. <laughs> oh, something about something about. I mean, very similar to the kind of hero worship that, that comes with certain things. Like, oh, this guy's so good. Everything he says is golden. And, and you, you see yeah. so many other things too. It becomes almost like this cult-like behavior. Um, like with Liver King, throw him out there. Um, <laughs> if you right. this cult, and yeah, there's a lot of things. I'm not, not going to knock things that he was teaching, like. And nine ancestral tenants, like, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but there's a lot of them I agree with. Um, do we think he took it to a really hard, hard extreme as a marketing ploy? Absolutely. And do we think there's benefits to eating liver? Absolutely. Do I eat raw liver? I don't eat raw liver, but I'll cook liver. And, and I mean, it's, it's a phenomenon right there that your body can actually use all of it. And there's, there's so many different aspects one of the, the difficult things for me is is in our profession you have the apologists, the people who are excited to do what we do, and then you have the people who I'm trying to find out how to put this PC PC. <laughs> they went to chiropractic school because they couldn't get into school, and now they hate chiropractors because of it. Yeah, because like it's it's a little bit it's, it's easier to get into chiropractic school, 
maximally get you. It's <laughs> I mean, really high, uh, really high. Oh, what's it called? Like a dropout. Yeah, dropout. Yeah. Really high dropout rate because people get in there and it's like, oh, well, this is there's no way it's going to be as hard. And then first semester, it's like, hey, there's all these credits. You got to take all these uh, 21 credits in the first semester. And you're just like, oh, wow, this is one. The second semester goes up to like 28, 24, 26, somewhere in there. Yeah. And then you get 28, 28, and, and people are just dropping like flies because they can't handle it. And Which I think you spend all that money and that time, you get into the profession, and if you really don't find your philosophy and your passion in that, in that, in that field, in that profession, you graduate, and it's all you have now. You've got these student loans. You have all this, you know, expectation to now be a chiropractor. And if that's not what you want to do, you end up being like a lot of people, I think, out there where they go through the motions. It's the, you know, mom and pop, rack and crack and type shop, and it's and and they just and look so it. dead inside. Yeah, you hate you hate because you didn't get into it because of your passion. Yeah, and, and you're not practicing what you preach. You're not being adjusted. You're not living, yeah. you know, like hell. And I feel like a lot of chiropractors, we, people that I know, I mean, you get, there's, you have to be able to stand up to, to people who think that you're a quack, in essence. You have to be able to stand up to people who don't agree with what you do, who don't see the efficacy of what you do, and who know nothing about what you do. Yeah. Who have heard something from some other authority in whatever capacity they are who said, we said, oh, well, they do, they do nothing. There's no benefit to it. And then you have this whole different pot of people who are like, I, I live by this. Like, I feel so much better. My body's well adjusted. I'm able to adapt for all those situations. And, and those are my people. Like, that's the tribe. They're the underdogs. Yes. And they're okay being that because we have to scrap for every bit. Those underdogs right now are winning hard. Well, yeah, yeah. So and and we're okay being the outsiders that are changing the system from from where it used to be. Yeah. And and we have to we have to bring the results before anybody's going to listen to us. We have to show you know that we know what we're talking about and really win people over because they're not just going to walk into an office and think that we're, we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Every little victory has to be won with research and with evidence. One of the best things about our job, and especially is like that I, I love about. Being someone who loves to learn, someone who's still learning, who's who's still doing all this stuff, especially you as well. I love watching or talking to people who have no idea how much I know as a character who just think I just pop and crack people. And being able to talk about these terminal topics, talk about nutrition, or you being able to talk about neurology as well, and me being able to talk about neurology, neurology, and just watching them be like, how do you know any of this stuff? Or when it comes to x-rays, being able to read x-rays, I mean, it's interesting because we take more radiology training than than pretty much any general doctor does, um, besides radiologists. And so being able to read x-rays and, and having that, having that knowledge, stuff like that. And I remember talking to my parents and being like, oh yeah, these are like this is what my insurance go look at your company that you have to pay like if you if you have a surgical intervention something like that if you stay in the hospital for a day you're going to be paying a lot of money even if you have really good insurance if you go to a chiropractor once or twice a month for a year you're looking at what maybe 500 600 bucks and for and you factor in the opportunity cost of work that you miss and you know, just your quality of life. I mean, you're I mean, 600 bucks to not hurt every day. I mean, and then on top of that, I mean, you add, let's say you get some nutrition advice. Let's, let's say you find you find somebody who knows good stuff about nutrition and exercise. Um, I mean, let's say that costs you about $3,000 or whatever over a year period. You're looking at like $3,600, $3,500 for a year. I mean, if that can keep you out of hospital, I mean, feeling good, functioning well, is $3,600 a year worth performing your best and feeling amazing all the time. It's funny because we live in a society where we're conditioned to think that that money should be going to an insurance company to cover you in the event of a catastrophic injury or illness. Yeah. And we can take that money and now, thankfully, with like the FSA and HSA you know, prominence, people are now taking that money and putting it to something now 
that it's it's an insurance plan if you think of it that way because I'm proactively insuring against my body completely breaking down yeah. because I'm getting my my system checked regularly and that would be the best 3600 bucks you spend. It's not going to insurance just hoping for something bad not to happen. It's actually something I'm doing actionably right now to deal that. And it's not like you get to the end of the year and you're like, oh my gosh. My insurance deductible is covered. I need to do all of my procedures now. <laughs> yeah. And then October through December is just surgery season. Oh, yeah. You just feel terrible. And so you hate winter because you're just constantly inside trying to recover from something. <laughs> or you could just take care of your body the entire year. Yeah. And then when you get to the end, you're like, I can, I can enjoy this. And trick or treating. And we talk about turkey. And I mean, if we talk a little bit about like functionality, you talk about being able to function well in life. Mm-hmm. Would you. You have three years where you're where your body, you're overweight, you're you're struggling with all these different things, and, and life just is it's it's a struggle. Or you have one year where your body's just you're able to have no pain. You're 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 functional. You can do things that you want to do. I would much rather have a year where I can do things how I want to do them and feel great, as opposed to three years where I was just there, but I felt like garbage because I didn't treat my body well because I didn't prevent, I didn't do the, the necessary things like exercise eat well, um, get adjusted regularly, and, and be able to actually express myself in the human way. I think from a physical standpoint, any human who owns and operates a nervous system, which is all the ones I've met so far, except for maybe our president, um, is duty-bound to have that thing work as best as they can, to take the best care of it that they possibly can. I know a lot of people who are very, they're focused on their diet, on what they eat, what they drink, or not drink or not eat, and they're neglecting the big picture because they're so focused on these tiny little details. And sure, you might not have an addiction to meth, but you can't pass a cookie shop or a donuts shop, you know, without going and just loading up on sugar. Yeah. And I think that's kind of sad because there's so many. I'm not advocating you trade out those addictions for each other. <laughs> I would say we we need to be careful that we don't miss the forest through the trees and that you're taking care of, of health generally before you start focusing on those minutia and worrying about, you know, carnivore versus keto and all that stuff. When you would be better just cutting out processed foods for starters. Oh, such a great starting point. I want to talk about like, and I'm not a proponent of anyone, anyone dying for everybody, but if you cut out processed foods and this goes for everybody, you will feel better. Cut out processed foods from your diet. Eat whole foods. You will feel so much better. Cut out crappy dairy. Get some raw milk, something like that. Get something, some quality food, and you'll notice a huge difference. Just stop eating all those little treats. Stop eating all those. And I mean, heard it before, and and I'm seven. I'm personally, I'm problem sometimes. I I like protein bars, certain protein bars, but I feel like garbage after eating them. But in essence, a protein bar is just a candy. So okay, next next question for you. We've talked a lot about nervous system. So so tell me a little bit about your education in, in school. Like in chiropractic school, you tell me a little bit about before, but I want to know specifically about what things that you were passionate about studying when you were in school and what your education um, yeah, so my, my undergraduate, I studied archaeology, um, forensic archaeology, um, foreign languages, international business, my emphasis was in 10 languages. Um, that number keeps going up, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, no, it's always been 10. It, it literally is going up. He okay. studies like, oh, guess what? I learned all these phrases today in old Norse. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> hey, Caleb, what does this say? I don't know, but it's this language. You're claiming my time here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so my, my emphasis, my passion is in Middle Eastern culture and Middle Eastern studies. Um, but when I got to chiropractic school, uh, I was able to test in as a business background because I did have some pre-medical prerequisites that I was thinking of going to med school um, and life went in a different direction. So when I tested in to chiropractic school, we start with anatomy, basically 101, biochemistry, cells and tissues, you know, which is um, histology, yeah. learning how, how these tissues interact, your kind of basic, basic stuff, yep. And then we move into kind of gross anatomy where we're, where we're actually opening cadavers. And the coolest classes like, well, yeah, that's great, yeah, you guys are awesome. But um, that was, I didn't expect chiropractors to do that. You know, you go to a massage school or something, they have a cadaver there that you can observe and things like that. But, 
and in our day, you know, at least if you go into the school, they had damage from the cool gifting, and, and we cut on bodies, and there's nothing like being able to pull out these pieces and, and look at them. It's like if you're a computer major, a computer science major, you know, you're going to take part of our drive. You're going to see what makes it hum. It does. And so we would we would dissect gross anatomy for the first bit, and then we'd take the brain and the spinal cords, and we'd study those in more detail in neuroanatomy classes. Um, and so you get a very really good working knowledge of the anatomy of the nervous system and what makes it tick. Now, a lot of our profession is is there to pass boards and we'll probably never revisit some of those topics again if they're passionate about what they're doing to the point that they read research papers you know, at the end of the day. Um, more power to them because they're going to keep putting it. putting out there. If you are in a capacity as a healthcare practitioner, I'm going to use the word practitioner, practice what you preach Keep learning. Yeah. Don't stop. Like just just because you got through school doesn't mean that you get to you get to stop learning. Like keep keeping your continue to learn. Continue to, to get the, the newest information you can. We need as much research as we can to prove what we're doing and to to make sure that when you have someone coming that has a condition that you haven't seen before, that you are ready, that you're ready to refer them to the appropriate doctor. Like if someone comes in there having a heart attack, like be ready, be able to recognize the signs. If, if someone has a condition where you can't do anything, have a network of people set up of, of medical doctors, of different other practitioners that you can refer to that you trust. And, and be curious about it. I think our medical programs now are just grinding all the curiosity, the mystery out of medicine that we've always had healthy respect for as a yeah. people. And, and we have doctors now that just think that they've seen it all, they know it all. And either them and or Google can fix everything. It's a one-size solve. It is. And so any doctor who is curious enough to, to really get to know a person on a personal level and figure out what's going on with their system, is, is just by default they're going to do And sometimes it, it, it's a good thing to understand things outside your scope. Like, as I'm going to talk to medical doctors, who I have great respect for, for medical doctors, because, I mean, lots of school and lots of, lots of stuff that goes into that. And some really good friends who are, who are in medical school, who have graduated from medical school, and all the respect in the world. Um, but it's really hard sometimes when you when you you get so specialized in a specific thing where it's like this person's a doctor, but what do they know about any of those conditions? Like, oh, well, I'm not a I'm not a gastroenterologist. I can't answer any of those questions because I don't know anything about that. I think it's I think it's important that we understand different things about being the body's whole. If you're a doctor, you should be able to understand. Kind of your basic stuff. Keep keep being interested about things outside of what you specifically specialize in. Yeah. Um, we were talking just the other day about a Reddit post by an anesthesiologist who yeah. had a very strong opinion about upper cervical adjusting in chiropractic. Uh, like adjusting period. <laughs> oh, uh, adjusting. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, I respect that. I don't have a strong opinion on what you do because I don't have the training to really weigh in, especially on a public forum like like Reddit. I'm not going to put my ignorance out there for the world to see. But he had no problem doing that, and more power to him. I think I think what I said was was someone who said, um, "Popping my own neck is it bad to pop my own neck?" And where where should I go to pop? And the guy's response was, he said, "You shouldn't ever pop your neck." And don't go a chiropractor. They don't want you to pop your neck because they want to pop it for you. Yeah, and it's just he he obviously didn't understand anything about the topic, and and it's okay. Like they, they don't have any education on that, but I think there's an ignorance to it. Why would you not ask a chiropractor why or why not to pop your neck? Yeah, if that's what we do all day, is the world sees it. Should I take an ibuprofen for this condition? Should I take a Tylenol for this condition? And I mean, yeah, I have different opinions on stuff like that, but. Come to someone who has that's outside my scope. Yeah, that's go to someone who has the scope, who has the the actual training, and knowledge about it. Have the latest research on it too. Yeah. They keep up on it, and they can be like, "Oh, well, just recently this study came out that says this, and you should know this before you do that." Yeah. And I think we're losing a lot of that, and just because people don't know who to go to with these questions, yeah. and so somebody has some letters after their name, and they, you know, they look like they know what they're talking about. That may may or may not be the case more and more. So. There's lots of good points made. <laughs> um, so here's 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 a big question for you. How often should a person get adjusted? Yes. <laughs>
Uh, that is a good question. And I think, and I think that very much depends on the person. And I think people who are just coming into the chiropractic world, um, first of all, I tell them to shop around and find a chiropractor, find a technique, find a philosophy that really matches what you feel like is right for you. Um, and just Googling somebody and looking for five-star reviews is... You can pay for those reviews. Yeah. Like, you just realize when you go on Google, you can pay to have anything less than a five-star review removed from your page. Yeah, very much a pay-to-play type of a, a system. And there's reputation management companies that just make a ton of money keeping really bad doctors look like they're really busy. Yeah. And, and so be careful for that. Talk to somebody who has been to that office. Referrals are the greatest thing. Yep. Get people that you trust that have been somewhere and, and I mean, go try it out. Yeah, try it out. And then and if you don't have a great experience, you know, try again or try a different way or, or talk to that doctor and, and just have that open communication. But at, at front, up front, it's going to take more energy and more effort. A good doctor is going to be able to have seven people to refer you to. Yeah. Like several other doctors, like, hey, if if I'm not working for you, if my technique's not working for you, if my philosophy's not really along with what you're doing, here's this other guy I can send you to. Here's this other doc that I trust. And and I mean, the good thing is that in this office we have with both of us. We, can, we do. We have patients that don't buy with our philosophy. Yeah, they're looking for spinal decompression and you know back pain yeah. increases there. Um, and so maybe this isn't the office for them, and that's okay. You know, it doesn't mean that chiropractic won't work for them. It just means that, you know, our emphasis on function and wellness might not be where they're at just yet. We're, we're, we're less of a super disability, less of a uh, deterioration. And yep, we, we don't do, you know, personal injury. You know, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to sit and talk to you about how your, your spine is, is yeah, degener dis degeneration, the degeneration model, which has been pushed so hard with chiropractic for so long, just why people associate so much with back pain. Right. It's like, oh, here's this degeneration model where your your foramen are, are starting to, to have this uh, osteoarthritis in there. We set arthrosis, all these different things, and it's, it's impinging on these different aspects and, and disc degeneration. Which, let me just go in a little soapbox about that for a second. <laughs> and we worked with a doctor who, everybody that walked in, you have scoliosis and one leg is shorter than the other. And for the rest of their life, that's what they believe about themselves. Yeah. And so any chiropractor they go to after that, well, doc, I have scoliosis and one leg is shorter than the other. And I'm like, well, lay down. Let's check it out. First of all, scoliosis is 10 degrees or more in spinal curvature yeah. on cotton. It's a very specific way of measuring that. You don't just look at somebody who's a little off kilter and say that they have scoliosis. There's so many aspects that play into someone being off kilter. Yes. And that diagnosis sticks with them forever because that's all they care about. That's all they really know about. And a really good chiropractor will educate somebody on the subluxation and 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 in language we just say oh you have some interference to your nervous system that's preventing you from functioning at your nail my my philosophical addition to that is uh, this this lack of, of neurological involvement and uh, kind of uniformity uh, is going to create these dysfunctional patterns which that's where the muscle retraining comes in your body started to train your muscles to act in a different way to, to avoid pain yeah and so it starts with that neurological um dysfunction yeah interference and it becomes a dysfunctional pattern bio biochemically. Absolutely. And how you move and how you live. Move, and that's just going to continue to perpetuate it. So we have to address first the neurological system and then address biomechanical differences. And that's where it comes. That's what we call ourselves form fitness and chiropractic. It's because we believe that they go together so well. To, to once you're out of pain, well, yeah. once you're reconnected with your brain and body and that interference is reduced, then you're going to want to move. You're going to want to strengthen and use those pathways to create new movement patterns yeah. and healthy, healthy eating habits and better sleep patterns and all of that stuff that leads to health. Because just removing that interference to have somebody go back to Netflix and Cheetos is just the biggest waste of all of our time and energy. So sorry, I threw you off. That's okay. I was just saying I wish more doctors were not so instant to preach light length discrepancies and you know, scoliosis, because that's the low-hanging fruit that they can convince people that they can make a difference there. The research is still very much out there about what causes these things and how, how efficient they are. And then they call it idiopathic scoliosis. Yes, we, that means we don't know what causes it, and that's okay. But scoliosis in general, I, I very, very few people come into the office that tell me they have scoliosis that actually have scoliosis that I can identify on, on x-rays with that standard. And so between the time they left their last chiropractor and showed up at our doorstep, they must have been miraculously cured from that. Or maybe the last chiro was just desperate to give them something to 
that he said that he was fixing. This is something I need to treat. Yes, or I can't tell you how many times they come in with, oh, my doctor says I have bone on bone, you know, I'm um, waving their gear out. What, what's your response to that? Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's just. If you can bend it, you've got cartilage in there, right? Yeah, there, 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 there's there's some sort of something in there. Like if you're bone on bone, like it's gonna be pretty freaking painful. Yeah, like you, you gotta realize there's there's like David Goggins, I'm gonna Marines David Goggins, like the bone on bone. You look at his X-rays, like that man ground everything into powder. Like his body was just destroyed. Like if you're bone on bone, there's so many times where people come in and they, they say, well, my doctor says I'm bone on bone here. It's like there is still something in there. The fact that you can move it. Yeah. The fact you can move and it. You haven't run 120 miles on broken yes. legs like David. <laughs> Pretty sure you're okay. Yeah. But that, I want that to give people hope. I'm not bagging on, I'm not diminishing their pain description at all because yeah. I'm sure it feels like it's bone on bone. There's bone spurs, there's joint mice, there's something degeneration that's just, they live with chronic inflammation and pain every day. And I don't want to minimize that at all. To give you hope, like, hey, we've got some cartilage in there. There are so many different things, and that's, I think, hope is, is the key word. Yeah. You, there, there's a lot of doctors, too. I mean, I mean medical doctors, uh, chiropractic, like doctors of chiropractic, that you go into, and they're going to preach the gloom and doom. Like, if you don't get treated right now, your body's just going to, you're going to be crippled by the time you're 50. You're going to look like one of the little people who's punched back over. And absolutely not. Guys, come on, we can do better. If that scare tactic is the only thing you can get somebody to say yes, then you're probably not delivering very good results for people yeah. that aren't in yeah. the do, do we need to do we need to put out there and let people know like hey that there are a lot more serious problems that can come from not getting treatment or not treating your body the right way? Absolutely, people need to know those things. But if that's if you get every single person, like if you don't do this at this this amount, like your body's your body's gone. And that's the model of the other side of this whole spectrum that tries to create a problem that they then yeah. indicate you the answer to. Yeah. I mean, and people are tired of that. I'll, I'll, refer, I'll refer to another, um, one of my favorite podcasts that I've listened to. Um, it was Joe Rogan and, uh, and uh, Russell Brand. And Russell Brand, they're talking about like capitalism and stuff like that. I don't want to get politi politics in this, but he was talking about how in this world, we should be trying to fix a problem, find a problem, fix it. You should be working yourself out of the job. Yeah. As chiropractors, like, I don't want to see you all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I want to see your face. I want to be able to be friends and stuff like that. I want to be able to give you the I'm see you in the gym though. Absolutely. I'm gonna give you the tools that are gonna help you. And and whether it's whether you want to follow a workout plan, whether you follow a meal plan, that's something I can assist you with, whether getting you well adjusted and, and getting you adjusted regularly, but not seeing you all the time, all the time, um, is is something where I wanna give you the tools, give a man a fish feed for a day, teach a man to fish feed for a lifetime. Yeah. And same thing with like if we if we find a problem and, and so much of this world has now become find a problem, create a solution, but that solution is actually another problem because now you create dependency on that. I don't want to create dependency. Yeah. What the reason why people when they when they go and see a chiropractor they're like, once you see a chiropractor, you have to keep going. It's because your body finally realizes what it feels like to be well, to feel good. Like you're gonna feel what it what it feels like to, to move the way you're supposed to, to be in that, that kind of relaxed state of being because your body is actually able to adapt. And would you rather live a, live a life where you are paying and waiting outside of a chiropractic office or a gym or, you know, a basketball court or one where you're standing in the Walgreens line to pick up your prescription for that week or you're going to the PT because yeah. you hurt something for the umpteenth time or you're waiting you know, to see a surgeon about a problem that could have been corrected 20 years ago. Yeah. You pick the type of intervention that you take with your health and if you pick it well, you live a great life. Yeah, yeah. I went in the hospital and in college because um, I was in original family, I was being a big surgeon. I was working in the, in the, the hospital. Um, I remember sitting there, I think I've been there for, for two, three months, and just after another person came in and just like, hey, I just need pain meds or super overweight, something like that, to where it was very much a lifestyle condition that caused that problem in their life. And they, they come in and it's like, I just need, I need something quick, like, give me something. It's like, there's so many other things you can do. And they never seemed happy walking out of the hospital. Like, it was just a sad place to be. I hated it. And... And I get that there's a lot of, no one ever wants to go to the hospital. <laughs> but then I went in and I, I talked to one of the professors and he, he told me, he said, you should go shadow a lot of people. And I found this sports chiro in my hometown. And 
purple shower and I remember I got in there and I was just in the shower for like two hours or something. I spent six and they hired me right after and I, I freaking loved it. The people that came in were so excited. They got in there because they knew they were going to feel better. They knew was, they were going to give him, he was going to give them something that they could, they could take and apply. And, and that's what I loved is people came in, they were so happy about it. And I didn't know much about chiropractic. I only adjusted like twice or something before that. And I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, like these people love this. They're so excited. They understand that this is going to help them. It's going to make them feel better. And you see that all the time. In I think that's what you need to judge things by. Is what are what are the people that that really do this? What do they like? Yeah, happy, happy. Yeah. Are they are they getting the, the results of it? Absolutely. Well said. Well, that kind of concludes our time. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, that was great. Uh, we went on a lot of different tangents. Hopefully you guys gleaned something from it. Um, I always enjoy these types of talks and yeah. really kind of getting outside my head and vocalizing what I believe and why I believe it. Um, Absolutely. We do. So we're we're going to have a couple more. Uh, our, our, our other episodes that we're going to um, do after this, we're going to have it try and be a little bit more structured in certain things, kind of address certain topics because you've been very much philosophical, philosophical talks, just kind of get to know any things. And we want to want to really get into things that are going to interest our, our audience. And I mean, they interest us overall. As much as I want to, as much as I want to talk to you guys, like, well, I just want to talk to another. There's so many times when we talk, we'll, we'll be on like a car ride or something like that. Um, or I'll just like call them up or something. And just be like, hey, we need to talk about this. <laughs> and we'll just we'll have like a 20-minute conversation about some topic that's it's very poignant, that's very applicable to right now because there are so many different opinions out there. Yeah. And everyone wants to say their opinion's right. And I'm very opinionated. I think a lot of my opinions are right. <laughs> but but when it comes down to it, there's a lot of things I don't know. And especially when it comes to the healthcare profession, it is constantly evolving, constantly changing. And there's so many different uh, things that, especially in nutrition, I mean, more research gives us more insight into different things. Yeah. So. Cool. We look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Hey Doc. And uh, again, send your questions to our Instagram message here below. And uh, we would love to feature some of these topics in future episodes. Peace out. Have a good one.